Tonight is August 22nd, 2018. I'm going to share the title of tonight's message in just a moment. I know that it's been a while since I've been here and said this, but, uh, man, I love my church. Wow. Thank you so much for your prayers while the team was in Indonesia. The words that were given to us were absolutely uh, encouraging, and it led us in, in great directions. We had an absolutely powerful time there in Indonesia. Uh, if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 16, let's start in verse 15. Say there when you are there. Mark 16, 15. He said to them, who's he? Yeah, yeah, when in doubt, right? You're in church, so just start with Jesus, and you, you might be right about 85% of the time, right? He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Everybody say accompany. Man, they should come along with you. In my name, they will drive out demons. In Indonesia, we saw demons get drived out. They will speak in new tongues. In Indonesia, we saw people speak in new tongues. We'll share more about the details later, but uh, we're, uh, my son, I believe, and a couple of guys were praying with someone in the mall. Come on now. You know it's good when you go to the mall in a Muslim country. You start praying with people, and he says, I speak two languages, but I'm praying in a third. We're like, yes, you are. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. No amount of fear that the enemy tries to put on you about your surroundings or about the, uh, the dangerous situations that might be there can even come close to you. And they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. We're going to share more details during our sermon on Sunday. Everybody say Sunday. Sunday. But never satisfied to rest on our uh, blessed assurance. Or on our holy laurels, Pastor Eric and Pastor Matthew, along with their wives and Mandy, are heading to Romania by way of Istanbul to minister to our dear friends there. Man, I love my church. We just completed an incredible series on faithfulness. Faithfulness over time, that faith is best displayed in the idea of decades, not merely hours or moments. That we're supposed to have a faithful confidence because we have a faithful father and he compels that faithfulness from us. Pastor Eric, I have to be honest with you. When I saw this one pop up on, on YouTube where we were, I was like, <laughs> it just made me, I just giggled out loud. When God gives you the finger, subtitled faithful to break stone. That was LCM strong right there. The faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to change the human heart that compels us towards faithfulness. Pastor Matthew slapped you with the Torah. Piro spoke on troubleshooting faithfulness, poor connections, that cause hellfires to consume your life and good connections that ensure that his power flows through you. And then Sunday. How many of you were here on Sunday? Yeah. Uh, I've already listened to the sermon several times in, in the flight coming back uh, since I've been back to make sure that I, I'm trying to soak up every bit of, of what Sunday's message was. Blood-tested faithfulness. What a powerful service that we had. Aren't you glad you're in a church where you can find liberation not only on the initial day of your salvation, but on any day that you need it subsequent to that? We learned that the true paternity test for the Messiah was, in fact, a blood test. We saw clearly from the word the absolute dependency of the son towards the father. The faithful son in his perfect sacrifice testified and verified his faithfulness to all mankind. Further, the achievement of the faithful son was to give us all the ability to become the sons of God. And this great truth was verified by the power of the Holy Spirit moving here in this place. Man, how do we follow up on such, such a fantastic and an important topic like faithfulness? As your pastors, we were praying and meeting together just in the uh, 36 or whatever it was hours that we had in between one group returning and another group taking off. And I really believe that the Lord has given us something for tonight. I believe the Lord is just faithful. Uh, I was encouraged by the word that came forth from Brother Nick. Early and one of the very first words that were given during worship that we can't meet with him without and still remain unmoved. We've got to be moved by what God's doing, not just in our emotions, but let him move us by his spirit. The title of tonight's sermon is big love, bold leadership, big love, 
bold leadership. Let's pick up where Pastor Eric left off on a Sunday. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 14. Say there when you are there. It says this, for Christ's love compels us. Man, we could just stop just right there. If we just, if we just meditated on that phrase right there, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. Oh my. But for him who died for them and was raised again. LCM is in the process of developing men in a certain way. We're developing the most loving husbands, the most tender fathers, and the most savage of lion killers. The reason that we're doing that is not for some uh, self-fulfilling ideas, but that we are compelled by Christ's love. Megan, would you put up verse 14 back on the screen and leave it there for just a minute? The idea that it's Christ's love that compels us to do what we do. Can you always say that? It's Christ's love that's compelling you? I want to say that all the time, that it's Christ's love that's causing me to do something. But I understand, and maybe you understand too, that's not always the case in our motivation. We might have a lot of different motivations going on about why we're doing what we're doing. Even if they may appear to be holy on the outside, what we're trying to get at is a big love. Is Christ's love compelling us, moving upon us, compelled. Have you ever been compelled to do something? We can blame a lot of what we do on being compelled, can't we? I couldn't help myself. I was com- No, no, no. When Christ's love is compelling you to do something, you cannot let something stay the same if Christ's love is moving upon you to do something. You cannot stay the same. We are in more danger of that as a church than maybe anybody else because we get used to feeling his presence. And instead of realizing that it's the king of the universe that's meeting with us and we must respond, sometimes we allow the presence of God to be the response for us. We felt his presence, so therefore, check it off the box. He was with us. Let's go off and do what we're going to do. Instead of allowing it to move our hearts every time. Man, I, I, we felt God's presence in Indonesia. I watched him. I watched the Spirit of God convert Muslims to Christianity while I was standing there in front of them. Man, it doesn't get much better than that. But you know what I did? I got here tonight and I felt God's love trying to compel us. Christ's love moving upon us. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verse 12. Romans 8. And verse 12, it says this. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. Everybody say obligation. obligation. Man, we're talking about words like being compelled and being obligated to do things. Yes. Yes, we are. But it is not to the sinful nature. That's not where our obligation lies. To live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Now, doesn't that remind you of what took place in Genesis? God said, if you eat of this fruit from this tree, you will die. Did Adam die that day? All the Bible scholars are like, well, which one are you going for? He didn't physically die that day, but did he die that day? When we follow the obligation of the sinful nature, you know what happens? You die that day. We die every time we give way to the sinful nature instead of to the spirit. Every single time. It may not culminate in our physical death yet, but you are dying. What's the phrase? You're dying a little bit on the inside? We're just dying on the inside. The part that can hear from God is starting to die on the inside of us. Every time we follow the obligation to the sinful nature instead of to the spirit. Verse 13, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Why? Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Man, we that's what Sunday's message was about. The blood-tested faithfulness of the Son that allows us to be sons and walk in faithfulness as well. Man, do you hear these words though? Compelled. Obligated. 
Many people think of these things and these concepts that love and compulsion must be on different ends of a spectrum. If they're not polar opposites, they're at least extremely different in what is going on. I'm saying they are of the same spirit here for us tonight. That the love must compel you. That you can do so many right things. What does 1 Corinthians 13 teach us? Right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Man, if you could do all of these things, but you don't have love, you're nothing. Man, if you have all revelation, if you give your body to be burned, are are, are you hearing what the Bible says? If we don't have love, if it's not compelling us, if it's not the force that's moving in our life every single day with everything that we're doing, do you hear how it doesn't really matter? Wow. We have to be obligated and compelled by Christ's love. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These things are not opposed from each other, but they are forcing us to consider it in a different way tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. It says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, We're starting out with something specific, right? And then we're moving to more generalized. Do do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Our motivation has to be compelled by Christ's love so that we're thinking about other people. No, we know this, don't we? I mean, we really do. We're supposed to be, yes, we're supposed to be compelled by his love and we've got to think about others more than ourselves. We're supposed to prefer and have a preference for someone else rather than ourselves. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What I want to begin to do is lay out the idea that big love, that a right kind of Christ love in us will compel us to bold leadership. Come on, everybody say bold leadership. leadership. What does that look like? We have a lot of ideas what leadership looks like. You can go to leadership seminars. You can buy books on leadership. Lead like Christ. The businessman's guide to leadership. Leadership for dummies. <laughs> you know, that's more my, more my speed, right? But what we have is you have this idea that there's a lot of ways that we can think about leadership, but look what it does here. We're thinking about someone else's good, and then it causes you to be the right kind of leader that you need to be. The leader in our homes. The leader, husbands, you leading your wives correctly. Parents, you leading your children correctly. If you're here and you're single, you leading yourself correctly. That big love from Christ gives us the right kind of bold leadership in our hearts, in our homes, in our families, in our calling. These things are more impacted by the level of leadership than I can even express to you tonight. If you think that you have a problem with your wife, your problem is probably a leadership problem. Wives, if you think you have a problem with your husbands, it is probably a followership problem. It's about, it has to do with leadership. If you're, if you're having trouble with your kids, it's a leadership issue, I can assure you, that has to be driven by a big kind of love. We're going we're gonna to show that tonight in a lot of different ways. Let me ask this. When we talk about leadership, there's a lot of different thoughts that people have on leadership. I, I got to tell you, when I, was, uh, when I was a kid, I would go to camps, and I thought that the idea of being a staff member at a camp was like the best idea ever. I looked up to the camp leaders because they had a shirt on it that said staff. And I was like, that's awesome. Mine was a t-shirt. Theirs had the collar. I was like, man, that's, it's all about the collar, right? That was fantastic. Having somebody, cause you know why? You know what? I wanted to be a staff. Why? Cause I could tell everybody what to do. Man. You, I, I can really tell when people are trying, uh, that when they have a misconception about leadership because they think it's about telling someone else what to do. Husbands, we're asking and we're telling and we're demanding that you lead your family. That will include instruction, but if you think it's just about telling your wife what to do, then you have no concept of what leadership really is. 
You walk in authority and you must learn how to walk in authority rightly. Wives, when you get nervous and you want to help your husband and step around his leadership because he doesn't quite get it, you know what you're doing? You're undermining the authority in the house and the authority is not going to be able to go rightly. You're stepping out from underneath God's plan because of your nervousness, because of what you're trying to do to help him lead. Man, I haven't been here for two and a half weeks now. I've, I've, uh, I've missed you guys greatly. We have been focused so hard on what was right before us, on the many tasks that were there, but I can feel that what I'm telling you is right tonight. You don't have to agree. You don't have to shake your head. I can feel that it's the right thing for us to have as a church tonight. And we're going to see this. Follow the example. Why is the example there? It's because the very passage before says, because we're thinking about other people. Man, when you're a little kid, you want to, everybody wants to be the line leader, right? Follow the leader, the lead. Yeah, there's something in us that wants to be that, but the more you've actually been in authority, the more people you've been responsible for, usually the less you want to jump in there for things that don't apply to you. Man, when I became a high school principal for the first time, I realized that I was responsible for more things than I had ever been. Multi-million dollar budgets, 57 teachers, 13 other workers, 563 students, and I realized that I had less control than ever before. See, when I was the teacher and I had my 50 to 100 kids, depending on the band class, I, I had mine and they were mine and I took care of them. But when I started having 600 kids almost, what I realized is that I had to entrust them to the 50 teachers. And I can't be in 50 classrooms at once. I was responsible for more and in control of less. It's almost like there's something for us to learn about walking in the authority that God gives because the more you grow in your authority and leadership, it has to be in proportion to the big amount of love that you have to follow your Lord. The better you do at having the right kind of Christ love compelling you, I promise you, the Lord will be with you to help you lead better. Let's, let's look at what, how Jesus did this. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Let's start in verse 7. Y'all with me tonight? Okay, just want to make sure. I didn't know if jet lag caught up with me and I dozed off there for a second. I just want to make sure you're with me. It says this, starting in verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because he was the son of God. He was heard because he was really cool. Well, I mean, he was, but he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard because of his great love that produced a perfect obedience. Is your love for the Lord producing obedience in your life in every area? Are there areas that, that are, you're having difficulty to get under submission to the Lord? Are you having trouble being reverently submitted to something or someone in your life? Then you have a love problem as well as a submission problem. Christ was heard because he was reverently submitted to the Father. Do you know why you'll be heard? When you act just like him. As you are reverently submitted to what God has put in you, the authorities in your life, wives to your husbands, children to your parents, singles to your pastors and your elders, whatever it may be, that as you are doing this and you are rightly in love with the Lord, you will show that by being reverently submitted and you will be heard. You don't have to have a fear that you won't be heard. Man, how many times have we heard somebody say that? I could tell you as a pastor, you get in a, a marriage uh, time, marriage counseling with somebody. I just don't feel like I'm being heard. Well, amen. Well, let's deal with that. 
but we can never actually say that of the Lord. And if you feel like you're not being heard, perhaps you need to go back and check level one of reverent submission to see what's going on. Verse eight, although he was a son, come on, say he was a son. He was the very son of God with blood tested faithfulness. He learned obedience from what he suffered. You would think that though he was a son would exclude the next part of that than him having to learn obedience through what he suffered. That's why Hebrews is such a fantastic. That's why this is a beautiful passage for you to dwell on. I encourage you dwell on this more than just tonight. Don't let it just fleet go beyond you once we get done with this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Once he had this kind of big love proven by what he suffered, he was able to boldly lead us all towards salvation. Man, I'm so glad. This is why he's the model that we are supposed to reflect. Look at verse 11. We have much more to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. Yikes. Why don't you just tell us what you really think, right? In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You ought to be people who can lead others in the right way. You still need someone to teach you. You're not being motivated from the right place to teach you the elementary and truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Wow. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for man. Solid food is for those who are mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Let's turn to John 17 and look at another facet of Jesus love that is supposed to be compelling us. John 17 and verse 20. It says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know who Jesus is praying for right here? He's praying for us. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me because his great love held nothing back from us. A great Christ-compelled kind of love holds nothing back for yourself. You know what I love about my church? You know what I love about our church? Is that we have people who don't hold anything back. Golly. Have I ever been blessed by someone in this congregation that give you, uh, gave you a word when you needed it? Can anybody need a little more help than not only a, a spiritual word, but you needed some type of physical help and somebody was there to help you? Come on, man. A Christ kind of love doesn't hold anything back. A worldly kind of love always holds something back for yourself, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Why won't I give you what I have? Because I'm worried about me. Why won't I give my wife the love that she needs? Because I'm worried about her not reflecting it back in the way that I would like. Christ-compelled love says, I'm going to give you everything that you need before you, quote-unquote, deserve it. Why? Because that's the way Christ did it. Before we give it. When we're leading our children, we're not afraid to discipline them. Why? We might hurt their feelings. Well, please hurt their little bottom and their feelings. Both. They're connected. (laughs) Bottom equals feeling. No, you know. Please. Do you know what Christ's love starts to realize? That if I don't treat my wife rightly... The one above me is going to hold me accountable. You know why I don't want you to, I'm not, um, I don't want you to discipline your children this way. You're embarrassing me. People are going to look at me and think that I'm a bad parent. You need to not do that. That is not love for your child. Who is that love for? That's love for yourself. Now we all can say it. Anybody ever been in a restaurant and you're like, you are embarrassing me. 
Anybody ever tip the waiter and the waitress because the mess that you left? You're just like, sorry. I'm not sorry enough to clean it up. (laughs) Just going to lay an extra $5 on you. Bless you. I'm out of here. Come on now. This is real. We're here in this place. How many parents have not disciplined their children in front of other people because you're worried about what other people will think when they look at you? I'm I'm just trying to get at, at things that are real tonight. You know what those are examples of? Yeah, that's immature parenting. It's an example of you not being compelled by Christ's love. When you can't lead well in your family, when you can't follow well in your family, you're actually showing that you are not motivated by Christ's love. Wow. We have to be. Because he wants us to be one as he is one. He is encouraging and praying for us in this. Let's keep going in this passage. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. May we all have the same standard. May we all have the same idea. How in the world can you do that? How in the world can an entire church... Now, pastor, don't don't step on my toes too much. I mean, we have our family standards and they have the... Look, how can you do this? Because we're supposed to be unified because of Christ's love. And if we are unified in His love, we will lead the way that He wants us to lead. And that puts us on the same standard. That puts us in the same place. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know. So you can just rejoice, hey, we're all, we're unified. We're not doing anything out in the world, but we're together. No. They're brought to complete unity to let the world know that God has sent His Son and, and He's loved them even as you have loved me. Why is the leadership there? Because of love. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 5. Let's keep going with this thought just a little bit more. We should never be in the habit of hearing the Word of God and thinking first that it relates to someone else. Our habit, our pattern, our our DNA in this church is that when we hear the Word of God, we presume that it is for us right now, no matter what you think initially, that we allow the Word of God to be what we filter our thoughts through, not the other way around. I want to know what love is. And I want you to show me. Unless you're singing that to Jesus. You cannot define love on your own. Well, I think that love looks like this. Fantastic. If you like Skittles and puppy dogs and you think that love looks like that, then you know what you're going to have? You're going to have a love that does not match Christ's love. You're not compelled by Christ's love at all. You're compelled by your own idolatry and the way that you think about love. First John chapter 5, verse 1. <laughs> Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Come on now. This is how we know that we love the children of God. This is how we know what love is. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God. This is love. You want a definition of love? This is it. To obey his commands. To be able to do everything that he tells you to do, the way that he tells you to do it, whether you like it or not. Whether you're feeling the little heart emoji or not. This is love. To obey his commands. This is what causes us to show that we are being compelled by Christ's love. Because that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do to continually do this. It always produces overcoming obedience. Since we're right here in 1 John 5, look back at 1 John 4. How can we love like this? Verse 17. 1 John 4, 17. It says this. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence 
on the day of judgment. Do you have confidence? Come on, are you walking in confidence tonight? Some of us are. Some of you answered that. Some of you were just really quiet. We want you to be able to walk in confidence. The idea that this is too far for us to grasp, this is too much, it's too far out there to actually please God, so we'll just kind of be comfortable and and all placate ourselves. No, you can actually walk in confidence with the Lord. You do not have to be in this place. Out of all places, don't be in this place and walk around with a lack of confidence. I think sometimes it might even be harder here. You know why? Because there are people who are actually doing it right. And those of us who want to take confidence in ourselves and how we're feeling, we can get put off. But the Lord is trying to give us the right kind of confidence. In this way. In what way? Whoever lives in the love of God. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like Him. There is no fear in love. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, there's no fear. But perfect love drives out fear. What a dichotomous statement. Everybody look up here for just a second. The idea that perfect love drives out fear. So we can have love on one end and fear on the other. But what is the verb here in the middle? Come on, man. you got to have the kind of love that will drive out the things that don't need to be there. You've got to have the perfect love that drives out fear. Come on, ladies. Don't let fear overcome you in your marriage. You have to have perfect love. My husband doesn't have perfect love for me. Have perfect love for the Lord and let him drive out the fear that you have. God has perfect love for you. What excuse do you have now? Come on now. This, this is real. This is trying to get it where we are. We talk about love and yes, we love and we love the Lord and we love, I love chocolate. I like pizza. I love, no. We're talking about a Christ kind of love that should be mo- motivating us to a bold leadership in every area of our life. If you don't think you have other people yet to lead, it's probably because the Lord is blessing you by not having anyone that would falter like you are. How about you be faithful over time and watch God and trust you with what you're supposed to have. But it's got to come from love. Let's not be so trite as to think that we're all motivated by Christ's love in everything that we do yet. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who, who is fearful is not made perfect in love. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. (laughs) To think that we could find love in any other way. You found something else that was determined, that was directed, that was explained through some other source, then it wasn't love, period. We can love because he first loved us. There's always a direction to this love that God gives. He is the one that initiates towards us. And what are we supposed to do? The prophecy at the beginning of service told us this. If he is showing his love by giving us his presence, by coming in our room, the first drum of a chord, as we begin to pray and our hearts get stirred up and he shows up in our midst, what must we do? We must love in response to his love. We've got to be moved. We've got to be changed. We've got to allow Him to modify our hearts and our spirits and our souls immediately. Why? Because I'm responding to His love. I am not the generator of love. He is. But once He loves me, then I understand what it's like and I begin to love in response. First towards Him and then towards everyone else. That has to be the way that it is. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Many of you can quote this, just even as I give you the reference. You know this one already. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Husbands, look up at me. Men in the room, look up at me. Are you loving like this? This is the model that we, if God, if we love because he first loved us, when you look at your wife, when you look at your children, when you look at your peers, whatever's appropriate for you, are you loving like this before anyone deserved it? Are you showing the love that you need to show? Are you compelled by Christ's love to do something? Not because I love myself, but because I love my children, do I need to correct them? I must correct my children. Why? Because they're going to embarrass me because I'm a pastor of a church. What a wicked, wicked, wicked thought. No matter how common it may be, it is still wickedness. I need to correct them if I need to correct Olivia on her attitude. Do you know why I need to correct her? Because if I don't, she will get far from the Lord and not fulfill her purpose. Because she is displeasing to both me and the Lord. How, if I love, if I am compelled with Christ's love, how can I possibly leave her in that state? How can I leave her far from God? Because I'm afraid that she's going to say something back to me. And by the way, I love my daughter. And she has to be corrected just like every other person in this room. Just like the Lord corrects us. And we must respond rightly. And you know what happens when my daughter doesn't respond rightly to me? It gets worse. Because I'm mad. No. Well, yes. But that's, that's true. But I should be mad. See, if we define love the wrong way, we're saying we think things like anger is antithetical to love. Um, Megan, can we do just uh, Psalm 45, 7? Just real quick. We're going to actually get to another verse that says the same thing. Psalms 45, 7, what does it say? You love righteousness and hate wickedness. But love is puppy dogs and Skittles. It's rainbows. It's fluffy clouds. The love of Christ causes you to love righteousness and those who do righteousness and hate wickedness. So you know what it means in your life when you allow sin to stay? It means that you are not yet hating wickedness. And therefore, you are not yet fully in the love of Christ that causes you to love righteousness. Come on, man. This is where we are really at. Let's turn to James chapter 1, verse 17. James 1, 17. It says this, every good, everybody say every good and perfect gift. Um, does that mean that you can have a good or a perfect gift that is not included in this, in this verse? Every good and perfect gift is coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What does that mean? That means that God starts the love process and it comes down to us and we must respond in kind. We must respond to his love by doing something about it. Man, the truth is that sometimes me doing something about it is I've got to receive the love. Lord, thank you for moving. Thank you for showing me that you haven't cast me off, that I'm still your child. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're disciplining me because you love me. Thank you that you are correcting me with sternness because it shows that I'm a son. And I must respond to what God is doing, what he is showing And his direction of love. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14. It says this. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. (laughs) Wow. Incredible. I believe that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Boy, doesn't that make you feel good? He wants to strengthen you with power in your inner being because of his spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
Bim opened up our service tonight with this passage. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Come on, anybody want a love that surpasses knowledge? Isn't this what our, what our fantasies, our, our fantasy books, the, the knight coming in and, and shining armor to save the day? It's these kind of things. But we can't let the world define this. The scripture is defining this for us right here. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How full is that? <laughs> You're like, well, if it's full. So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What happens when we start walking around as a church with all of the fullness of God in us? How do we do that? We do that by being rooted and established in love. When we are rightly being compelled by Christ's love, He gives us the power to have bold leadership. He gives us the power and the strength to walk in His Spirit. He gives us what we need. Let me ask you, do you feel like on any given day that you have what you need? Well, that's a question. If I measured what you actually had on how you feel, how much would you have on any given day? A lot less than we should. Not as much as I want. If His divine power has given us what we need, if it's saying here that we can be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, how? By being rooted and established in love. By being rooted I was thinking about it in my mind. I went, yeah, to be rooted like your roots go down deep. And then it was kind of like, I I feel like the Lord quickened and said, it's not your roots that need to go down deep into love. It's the very source of where the love is coming from. I had thought about it almost backwards in my mind. I I was thinking about the big part of the tree. And then I went down in my mind to where the roots were. That's not how the tree gets there. It starts below ground and then it grows up and the better and the stronger the root system, the stronger the tree can become. How often do we think about this backwards? We're trying to think of the manifestation and we're not being rooted and grounded in love. He's got to have us with the source of his love, a foundation for you to build upon. And then you can start understanding how wide and how long and how deep and how incredible His love is. My God, help us tonight. As we're doing this, let me quickly go through a couple of examples from the Tanakh. Let's go to Exodus chapter 7. Are y'all with me? Great. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. It says this, the Lord said, yeah, just stop and think about it for a second. I'm excited to be back. And I don't want you to miss little things like this because we get so used to it that we say the Lord said, and we just move on. What happens when the Lord says something to you? It's got to rock your world. If he says something to you every day then you're going to get your world rocked every day. The idea that the Lord can say something and it becomes anything less than an amazing encounter with the king of all creation, we're missing out. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up. Out of the land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. I thought he said at the beginning that he saw the misery of the people. Yes. He started off by seeing the people and their state. But the reason that they were there was not lost on him. He saw that as well. So now go, because I am sending you. What kind of love is the Father showing here in this passage? 
a Christ kind of love must compel you to have faithfulness over time. It must compel you to conquer sin. It must compel you to see something that is going on and be moved to do something about it. Husbands, if you are seeing things in your wife that need to be corrected because the Lord is displeased with them and you're not correcting them, stop being a coward. You're not being moved with the love of Christ. You're being moved by a lot of other things, but it's not compelled by Christ's love. God shows us. He said, I have seen. I have heard. I have come down. I am sending you. I know what's going on. When God called out to Adam in the garden, what did he say? Where are you? Husbands, do you know where your wives are? I don't mean physically. Husbands, if we're representing God in this story, do you know where your wife is? Do you know what her state is? Do you know her fears? Are you looking at your wife the way the Lord is looking at at Israel here and saying, I know what's going on in there. I have seen it. I've heard it. I felt it. And I'm going to do something about it. Come on, husbands. Where, where is your wife tonight? Where is she? Be moved like this. If you're single in this room, you know what you should be hearing? That when the love of Christ gets on you, he is intending for you to overcome any adversity, any difficulty. Come on, young men. Overcome the evil one. First John 2 teaches us that. Overcome the evil one. Be strong. Be full of the word. Overcome. Young men and young women in the room. Look at me, young women, for just a second. The Lord intends for you to overcome and to be strong because of His Word. The Lord Himself will act on your behalf if you will give Him the right opportunity. If you will not allow fear to be inside of you, the Lord Himself will move for you. He will see where you are. He will hear what you're crying out. He will be moved with compassion and do something about it. He may even send you to do it and strengthen you as you're doing it. We know, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's start in verse 8. This is the Lord speaking through Nathan the prophet to David. These are words that the Lord spoke. It says this in verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on the earth. We're still celebrating King David. His name is in fact among the greatest names that has ever lived on this planet. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. Wow. And will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all of your enemies. What is the Lord saying here? He's saying he's got an incredibly big love for David. He's sharing that with him. He's sharing that with him here. Now let's keep going. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Wow, what an incredible promise. Who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. Now he's not only talking to David, but David's offspring. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. Well, that sounds like a loving father. But my love will never be taken away from him. The ability for David to have rulership 
was supported because of the love of God himself. And what a beautiful thought. Um, Megan, would you put up on the screen for me Acts 13 and verse 22? Acts 13 verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. A man who loves me in the same kind of response that I showed him and loved him first. David responded with the same kind of love. By the way, Psalm 45 that we read a minute ago about loving righteousness and hating wickedness. You know who that's about? It's about King David. Because David loved like God, he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. It proved that he had a heart after God's. That he was willing to do everything that God wanted him to do. Wow, we're all the way back to 1 John 5, aren't we? How love for God is that we obey his commands. This is what David showed us in human form, how that we can carry this out as well. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 2. We're going to turn the corner and go towards a closing here in just a second, but I'm trying to lay out a very simple concept and do it with enough repetition that you walk away from this place tonight not impressed because of a, of a message, but moving towards what God has for you to do today. Yeah. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7. Are you there with me? Yeah. It says this, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. In the last message you heard of a process called circular validation. You heard of different things from the word of God instructing in the newer Testament, when God is speaking, he says, this is my son whom I love. And you went through the stringing of pearls on Sunday that was alluding to this very passage. He said to me, you are my son and I, today I've become your father. He's establishing his love. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. What is he talking about? He continues to go on and says, you will rule them with an iron scepter. He's saying, once you're established in my love, then you can have the right kind of bold leadership that will get you where you're supposed to go. Come on, church. Man, this is a great thought to think of Psalm 2, but what about you and your family? Are you moving towards, are you moving forward in bold leadership in your homes? Single folks in here, are you moving towards bold leadership within yourself? Are you leading yourself well? According to the scriptures, that you might be able to build a life that's worthy to be added to. There's a necessity for us to have the right kind of love that produces the bold kind of leadership. Turn to Psalm 62 very quickly. I've, I've read uh, the Psalms many times before, and it was on a Thursday night at our house that Judah shared this verse months ago. It was moving his heart, and he, conv- he conveyed it in such a way that it moved my heart as the passage had never done before. Psalm 62 and verse 11. You there? One thing God has spoken, and two things I have heard. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? When God speaks one message, sometimes we can hear two things. We can realize that he's got so much depth in when he speaks to us. That you, O God, are strong. And that you, O Lord, are loving. Come on, what a simple thought. That he is a strong God who is known for his love. That his big love always produces us, in us, a bold kind of leadership for him. That's who he is. Well, how can you simplify the Godhead, uh, the entirety of who God is down to this? We're not trying to say that that's all that he is. This passage resonated within my soul because he is both strong and loving. We're trying to make our men here into the most loving of fathers, the most loving of husbands, the most tender fathers, and the most savage of lion killers. That sounds like loving and strong to me. That we're trying to reflect the very character of the heavens. 
If we had time, we could go to Psalm 136. For those of you who, who may not know it just by the number, it is the refrain after every passage in Psalm 136 to say that His love endures forever. <laughs> Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. He opened up the sea. His love endured forever. He conquered. He defe- His love endures forever. Let, why, don't you, why don't you read that in your own time and realize that that should be defining your idea of love. That He delivers. That He sets free. That He crushes the enemy. That He puts to death the wicked. That He does some things and it's all under the guise of it feels a little weird to us in our society to say His love endures forever. Yeah, you just said something very negative. You said that He crushed the enemy. Yes, He did. His love endures forever. Let's not have a love that's defined by the world. God help you don't have a love that's defined by yourself. Let's have a love that's defined by the heavens itself. By God himself as he moves upon us. Man, this big love is supposed to produce in us bold leadership. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's start in verse 11. It says this, It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There we are with the fullness of God Himself. You realize, of course, that Ephesians is merely a reflection of the entirety of the Older Testament, of the Tanakh. The fact that he puts leaders in your life is to show his great love for you. It's as a response to this. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Let's just be honest for a second with each other. I'm not going to ask you if you've done this, but I'm going to ask you to consider in what areas in your life are you more like an infant than a mature believer? What do you mean, pastor? In what areas of your life are you getting tossed back and forth by the waves? Is it in your emotions that one day you're doing fantastically great And the next day, you're crashing. The truth is, is that probably doesn't happen day at a time. It probably happens hour at a time for most of us, doesn't it? Oh, pastor, that's not me. It's not my emotions. Then what about your thoughts? Do you wildly vacillate between being full of faith, being full of trust in the Lord, and worrying about you doing the next thing that he tells you to do? In what ways are you being like an infant tossed back and forth? The idea of why God puts you here is so that you have a big love that is producing a bold leadership to help you to come to maturity. Let's look at verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Wow. Speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into Him who is the head. What are we trying to do? <laughs> He's the head. We're trying to grow up. I've kidded around with this before. About I've, I've made jokes with you before. My kids, when they were little, bobbleheads. Giant old Wade Sutherland kind of noggins on these little bitty babies running around. I could not sit my kids up right on their little bottoms because they would go, boop. <laughs> they were too top-heavy and they'd go, My kids had knots over their head all the time because everything got hit with their head. You know what they had to do? They had to grow up into their head. It's so true. I can't help it. You know what we have to do too? We have to grow up into our head. If you're still being tossed about, come on, don't let, don't be tossed about anymore. Take your thoughts captive. 
be compelled by the love of Christ. I want to do one more passage with you. Um, okay, maybe two. And then we're going to end. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Got to grow up into the head, man. Come on. Quit being tossed around. Quit being jostled in your confidence. Quit being messed up in your emotions. Quit, quit being, being, going back and forth and oscillating in your thoughts. Don't have your will set to do what the Lord wants you to do today and then it, then it get questionable tomorrow. Stop having weak knees. Let's grow up into the head, amen? Let's look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. It says this. Love must be sincere. <laughs> it's got to be the right kind of love. It's got to be the kind of love that won't allow those around us to stay in a state that is not godly. It's got to be the right kind of love that causes husbands to lead their wives rightly. It's got to be the, a sincere kind of love that allows wives to follow their husbands well. It's got to be the kind of love that causes a single person to trust in the Lord and not be tossed about to and fro. It's got to be a sincere kind of love. Hate what is evil. There it is again. You would think that if we're going to have a discussion about love, that the word hate wouldn't come up. But it comes up every single time. Love must be sincere. Hate. Let's say it again. It's right there. Love must be sincere. Hate. Holy Scripture. Holy writ. Got to listen to it. Love must be sincere. Hate. You would think that after love must be sincere, they would give you a long list of how to love rightly. Unless, in fact, that's exactly what he's doing. Huh. Love has to be sincere. If you don't hate evil, then you don't have sincere love. Now, for our young disciples in the room, whatever age you may be, the hating what is evil is usually, let's not start with someone else's evil first. The idea is that if your love is going to be sincere, because what you are, what you do when you're young in the Lord is be like, that dude's doing it wrong. You may be right. But let's first start. The way that you grow up into the head is that you start with you. Husbands, you start with you. Wives, you start with you. Kids, you better start with you and this love must be sincere concept. Hate what is evil. Cling, hold on to it. Wrap yourself around it and never let it go. Cling to what is good. This is the beginning of the list of how to be sincere in your love. Hate the evil. Cling to the good. Then what can you do? Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. What are we still talking about? Sincere love. Joyful in hope. What does that show? That you're being compelled by Christ's love. Patient in affliction. What is that showing? You're being compelled by Christ's love. Faithful in prayer. You know why? Because I can't let my friend go without prayer from the heavens. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. What are we doing? We're saying that anything that you put your hand to, let it be compelled by Christ's love. The ending of this passage in verse 21 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with this sincere love that he's talking about. Overcome evil with good. For our last passage of the night, let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. It says this in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 10.
And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. The reason that we're talking about having a big love and bold leadership is because I'm praying for you in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. How worthy does that have to be? How worthy is He? How precious is His blood? Not because it does for us, but because of the precious nature of His blood. How worthy is this that we must live? My goodness. We pray this in order that you may live a life that's worthy of the Lord. And may please Him in every way. Come on, somebody say every way. He deserves you to please Him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. So that you may have what? Great endurance and patience. Joyfully giving thanks. Boy, I, joyfully, not only just giving thanks. I'm thankful. Are you joyfully giving thanks to the Lord? To the, to the Father who has qualified. Everybody say qualified. qualified. The point of tonight's sermon is not to make you feel disqualified. The point of tonight's sermon is to make sure that you are in fact living in a way so you will be qualified. To share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Come on. Would you stand to your feet with us tonight as we get ready to respond in worship? We pray this in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord. Every single human being in this place, every person that is in our church, we want you to be able to live a life that's worthy of the Lord. What I felt like the Lord laid on my heart tonight was we must be compelled by Christ's love so that we can have all of his power at rest and at work in us, that we can have the right kind of leadership in our homes and in our lives to produce a life that's worthy of the Lord. As we begin to worship, I know that we've had, you've had powerful times when we were gone. And that was three days ago. That's not me lessening what took place in any way. That's me saying, if we don't get what we need from the Lord every single day, we're not living a life worthy of him. In what ways do you need to repent tonight? Because you haven't been compelled by Christ's love. You've been compelled by anything else. In what areas in your life are you being tossed to and fro? I want to help you not to be tossed to and fro. The Lord wants to help you tonight. Come on, what areas in your life do you need better leadership? Is it with yourself? Are you single? Are you a young man or woman in this room? Pastor, I don't have a family yet. Yeah, are you being led rightly? Are you leading yourself rightly? Husbands, wives, come on now. We're going to pray before the Lord. And as we worship, I want you to consider. I want you to wrestle with the idea of being compelled by his love so that you can live a life that's worthy.